We'll go ahead at this time and dismiss our grade school age kids to Kids Church with Miss Janae. Uh, Kimberly and Mario are still out uh, enjoying uh, getting used to new baby, uh, baby Easton, and so we'll continue to pray for them. In the meantime, uh, Miss Janae will serve as a, a more than adequate substitute, and so uh, we're excited uh, about all that God is doing in our church with all the new babies and the babies that are coming. Uh, be careful drinking the water around here. Uh, there's something in the water. Uh, so, if you have your Bibles this morning, I encourage you to open up to Matthew chapter 23. <clears throat> this morning we get to tackle probably the most difficult passage that Jesus presents in all of the book of Matthew. Not difficult exegetically, not difficult because of the, the text itself, not difficult uh, in, in its interpretation, uh, but in its application. Jesus is confronting the Pharisees and he's confronting them in the most direct and the most condemning way that he has address them in all of scripture and he's addressed them pretty pretty frankly up until this point but he comes to this point and he basically tells them and we're going to see this as we get into the text he tells them that you are sons of the devil and that you're going to hell i'm not mincing words that's exactly what jesus tells them he calls them brood of vipers and that tells them that they're going to reside uh, in a place called Gehenna, that's the Hebrew word uh, that is translated hell. In our understanding of Scripture, most of us understand Scripture. We understand the Old Testament as this big, ugly, mean God who, who is executing judgment and condemnation and wrath and justice. And then we get to the New Testament and we see a God of grace, a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of kindness. And so we, we understand Scripture in a Old Covenant, New Covenant mentality. Old Testament, wrath, judgment, justice. New Testament, grace, love, kindness, mercy. And that's, that's the way that we wrap our brains around Scripture. But that is a, a false and an incomplete understanding of Scripture. The scripture tells us that God is immutable, that he is changeless, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that the same God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. And God is no less gracious in the Old Testament. Similarly, he's no more, he is no less full of wrath and justice in the New Testament as he is in the Old Testament. He's the same from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. Whenever we read the book of, whenever we read the book of Jonah, and we see God giving grace to the Ninevites, even though they deserved it not. When we see God, God and Jonah gets angry because God is gracious and God is kind to the descendants of, to, to the people of Nineveh. Whenever we see Rahab, the harlot, receiving grace in the book of Joshua, Whenever we see Ruth, the Moabitess, by definition, the Moabites were enemies of God, and Ruth becomes, becomes annexed, she becomes redeemed by God through Boaz. 
We see God being gracious, God being kind, God being loving. And here in the book of Matthew chapter 23, we will see God, through Jesus, being very, very condemning and an instrument of wrath and justice and judgment to the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 36. We're going to read a fairly lengthy passage uh, this morning and... and we're going to try not to get bogged down into the minutia of the text, and we're going to try and see the text as, a, as itself as a whole. Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 36. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying this, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe. But do not do according to their deeds, for they say the things and do not do them. And they tie up heavy loads and lay them upon men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all of their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their Philacrates, and lengthen the tassels of their garments. And they love the place of honor at the banquet and at the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplace and being called by men, Rabbi. But do not be called Rabbi, for there is one who is your teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father and he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself, he shall be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from men, and you do not enter it yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, even while, the, even while for a pretense you make long prayers, therefore you shall receive greater condemnation. Verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel about the sea and the land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but who swears by the gold of the temple, he is obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that's sanctified by the gold? And who swears by the altar, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the offering upon it, he is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, he who swears both by the altar and both by everything on it, and he who swears by the temple swears both by the temple and by him who dwells within it. And he who swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier weightier provisions of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But these are things that you should have done without neglecting the other. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup 
of the dish, but inside are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish so that the outside may become clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which upon the outside appear beautiful, but inside are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. Even so, you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous, and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Consequently, you bear witness against yourself that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of guilt of your fathers, you serpents, brood of vipers. How shall you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous bloodshed on the earth. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things shall come upon this generation. Let's pray. Fathers, we look at this text. May we see ourselves. May we be convicted of our own hypocrisy. And may we be drawn to repentance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This text is indeed a very strong condemnation. Jesus is not being nice. He is not being cordial and civil. Jesus is being very blunt. He has spent the better part of three years expounding upon the teachings of the Old Testament. Remember, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Jews of this day did not have the New Testament. They did not have the writings of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They did not have the writings of Paul, the writings of Peter. They did not have the New Testament. All they had was the Old Testament. They had the writings of the Pentateuch. They had the law. They had the writings of the poetry. They had the prophets. But they did not have the New Testament. And so Jesus has spent the better part of three years expounding upon and and teaching further from the Old Testament, saying it's not about the letter of the law, but it's about the spirit of the law. You have heard it said, don't commit murder, but I say if if you look at your brother with hatred in your heart, you've already committed murder. It's not about keeping the letter of the law, it's about the spirit of the law. It's not about your actions, it's about your heart. Jesus has spent three years trying to, trying to unpack the Old Testament and trying to demonstrate grace and love and mercy and call them to repentance, and they have been blind. Now, I want to point out to you Jesus' audience, because in this passage, Jesus' audience is probably more important than in any other passage in the book of Matthew. Remember, the book of Matthew was written by Matthew. All right, we're, we're going to try that again. Y'all, y'all weren't ready. Y'all weren't ready. The book of Matthew was written by Matthew, who himself was a Jew, a tax collector. And the book of Matthew was written to the Jews. And the book of Matthew was written to present Jesus as the son of David. See, you do pay attention. 
Matthew's audience is so important at this point. And we have to understand how Matthew's audience would have viewed the Pharisees. The Pharisees were not the enemy in Jesus' day. The Pharisees were the good guys. The Pharisees were the keeper of the law. The Pharisees were the teachers of the law. The Pharisees were the preachers. They were the ones in the synagogue who sat up there. Those were the, the, the Pharisees were the ones who would, the rab, they were the rabbis, they were the ones who would perform the weddings, the ones who would perform the funerals, the one who whenever somebody was sick or somebody was, was, needed somebody to come and pray for them, they wouldn't call the local pastor because there was no pastor. They would call the local rabbi who most oftentimes was a Pharisee. And so these were the good guys. And we have to understand that their heart initially and many of them their desire to keep the law was not was not an an impure desire they genuinely wanted to do what was right and they genuinely thought that by keeping the law that by holding to the letter of the law and we're not only keeping to the law of god but we have we have created these other laws that make sure that we don't transgress god's law and so in a genuine in a real way, these Pharisees were not trying to be the bad guys. They only became the enemy, and I want us to understand this, church. The Pharisees only became the enemies of Jesus whenever their sin was pointed out to them and they refused to repent. It is only at that point that they became the enemies of Christ. If you look back in Jesus' earlier address to the Pharisees in the book of Matthew, he is not... He is not condemning them to hell. He's calling them to repentance. He is saying, Pharisees, rabbis, if you go back and you read through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is, he is, he is calling out their sin and he's saying, you hypocrites, you, you pray so that, so that men will see your prayers. Repent, pray this way. Pray in an inner closet so that no one knows. When you give, don't give in such a way that that everybody sees what you give, but but give so that your right hand doesn't even know what your left hand is doing. In Jesus' early admonition to the Pharisees, he's not condemning them to hell. He's calling them to repentance because, because we are all enemies of God. Every one of us are enemies of God. And it's only whenever we refuse to repent that we become condemned. And so here, church, I want us to understand the audience. The audience saw these Pharisees not as the bad guys, but they saw them as the pastors, the teachers, the preachers. These were the holy people. These were the holy men. They were the men who had all of the Pentateuch memorized. They could quote the Bible forwards and backwards. They were devout men. And they only became enemies when they refused to repent. I want us to look at the text. And I want us to see how Jesus addresses them. Matthew chapter 23. Verse 2. First of all, I want us to note that Jesus does not denounce their teaching. Look at verse 2. The scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, verse 3, all that they tell you to do, all that they tell you, do and observe. Do what they're teaching. Why? Because they're teaching you the law of God. That's not bad. 
Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, he says that all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is inspired by God and is, is profitable for teaching, for correction, reproof, reproof rebuke, so that no man, so that, so, so that all men may be equipped. It says in Joshua chapter 1, 8, it says that we are to be careful to observe the law, to meditate on it day and night. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but on it you shall meditate day and night. You shall be careful to observe all that is written within it. And then will you find your way prosperous, and then will you have success. The book of the law and the word of God is not bad. And the law of God is not the enemy. In fact, the law of God, as Paul says, is our schoolmaster, it's our tutor that leads us unto salvation. So I want us to first note that Jesus does not, he does not condemn the teachings of the Pharisees. But notice what he does. He says, verse 4, However, they tie upon heavy burdens and lay upon men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move it. Any application, and this is important for us to understand, church, any application of God's word that becomes burdensome, that becomes drudgery, that becomes heavy laden is an improper application of God's Word. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Take upon me my burden and my yoke, for it's easy and it's light. Why? Because coming to Jesus... And abiding in Jesus are one and the same. John chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me can do all things, can bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. In Christ, coming to Christ and being in Christ is what, is what frees us, is what, is what removes the burden from us. In John Bunyan's book, A Pilgrim's Progress, Pilgrim's Progress is it's a book that I believe every believer, every Christian ought to read. It has been published, uh, it has been published in more language and more times than any other book in the history of humanity, second only to the Bible. John Bunyan wrote this while he was in prison. It is an allegory of the Christian life. And in, the Christ, in, in A Pilgrim's Progress, there is, there is the main character, Christian. And he finds himself in the city of destruction with a heavy burden upon his back. And as Christian is striving to leave the city of destruction, heading to the celestial city, do you see what John Bunyan's doing there? Christian is burdened with a burden upon his back and he's leaving the city of destruction and he's going down the narrow path to the city of uh, to the celestial city. And as he's going down this narrow path, he is traveling up a mountain, carrying this burden upon his back. And as he is struggling up this mountain, as he's struggling up this narrow path with this burden upon his back, someone comes out of the, comes from out of the, out of the, 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 the woods, out of the, the brush and the sides, and they, they beat him. And they flog him and they, they leave him for dead. And he's laying there with this burden upon him. And he's, he's trying to get up and, and he can't because he's almost dead. And then somebody comes and bandages him. 
picks him up and cares for his wounds and nurses him back to health and removes the burden from his back so that he can continue on his way. And when, it, when he comes to himself, he, he asks, he said, he said, who was that man that came and beat me and, and flogged me and left me for dead? And it said that the answer was that was Moses. The law. Because the law works in us. Guilt. The law works in us impossibility. Works in us failure. Because there is none who are righteous. No, not one. And even in our effort, even in the Pharisees' effort to keep the law, they fail. Even in our effort to keep the letter of the law, we fail. And even if we're able to keep the letter of the law, we fail in keeping the spirit of the law. And it leaves us for dead. And when grace finds us, it picks us up. It bandages us. Nourishes us. It refreshes us. And it removes from us the burden of sin. Jesus said, Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. And if if the Jews had been trying to keep the law, they would have found themselves tired, burdened, heavy laden, as soon as they get down one aspect of the law, they, 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 they focus and they try and fix this one area of their life only to realize that another area of their life is suffering and that they are they're failing in another area. And, and if you are a human being, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you can focus on, on raising and teaching your children and, and you're focusing on praying with them and reading scripture to them, then all of a sudden as a mom you realize that I haven't had the time to, to care for my, my relationship with my husband. And if you spend all your time caring on your relationship with your spouse, then all of a sudden you realize that, that your responsibilities as a homemaker is not, it's, it's being neglected. And if you're a dad and you're trying to, to be the dad that God has called you to be and you're throwing playing catch with your son and you're, you're taking your little girl out on dates and, and you're doing everything you can to be the dad that, that you need to be, you understand that, that I'm not able to be the employee that I need to be. And I'm, I'm falling down in my responsibilities as an employee or as a husband. And, and we understand that whenever we try and do with all of our effort, we fail. Am I the only one who feels like this? Because keeping the law and doing what we're supposed to do is burdensome. And then we read the passage of Scripture in James that said, He who knows the good he ought to do and doeth it not to him it is sin. And then so then we're... We go to the grocery store and the Holy Spirit says, hey, you really ought to tell that person about Jesus. And you're like, I really don't have time. Besides, what if they say this and what if they say that? And so we leave and then we get back in our car and we say, well, I didn't tell them about Jesus. That's sin. He who knows the good he ought to do, doeth it not. It is sin. And then you wake up in the morning and you've overslept and, and, and you don't have time to read your Bible in the morning and, and, and you're, you're rushing out of the door and you say, and you get to the office and you're like, he who knows the good he ought to do and doeth it not is sin. And I've already, the day hasn't even started yet and I'm already a sinner. And you feel like a failure. And you're burdened with what we ought to do. 
application of God's word, the right application of God's word, should never burden us, but ought to free us. Those who are in Christ are free. We're free indeed. Because God is a God of grace. And God is a God of mercy. God is a God of love. And where sin abounds, the Scripture tells us that grace abounds that much more. And whenever we are burdened by the law and the application of the law, then we're not applying it rightly. The law ought to be our schoolmaster to lead us to grace. Whenever we fail, let us rejoice in the grace that is in Christ. Where sin abounds there, grace abounds that much more. And whenever sin shows up and whenever Satan accuses us, the accuser of the brethren intends to accuse us all day long, perpetually. And every time we have an accusation against us, the Scripture tells us in the book of Revelation that we have an advocate with the Father. And every time the accuser says, yeah, but you've done this, say, yeah, but Jesus paid for that. Well, yeah, but you've done this, yes, but it's been paid for by the precious blood of Jesus. And there is therefore no condemnation, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. None, zip, zero, zilch. Matthew chapter 23. Verse 6, verse 5. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. What is your motivation? What is your motivation for doing right? What is your motivation for bringing towels and sheets and coffee for Miss Tessie and Brother Ed? What is your motivation for bringing candy for the Fall Fest? What's your motivation for cooking a hot dog? Is it so that men will see what you've done? What is your motivation for good deeds? Remember back in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus condemns the Pharisees. He, he addresses this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. He says, when therefore you give gifts, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. And look down at verse 5. He says, and when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue, in the street corners, in order to be seen by men. Look at verse 16. Matthew chapter 6, he said, And whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. What is your motivation? Why do we do good? Most oftentimes, we do good so that others will see us doing good. Why do we do good? Why do we go and help gut a home? Is it because we genuinely love our neighbor and want to do it? Would we do it if no one knew we were doing it? Do we, have the, do we feel the necessity whenever we do serve or whenever we do do something that is, that is kind and gracious and loving, do we want to feel the necessity to make sure that other people know what we've done? Is the loving smile of God not enough motivation for us to do what is good and what is right? Do we seek to be exalted? The Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, not only did they, not only did they, they thrust upon the people of God 
a weighty burden. Not only did they do their good deeds to be noticed by men, but they sought to be exalted by men. Did they look for uh, they looked for opportunities to exalt themselves? Do we seek an opportunity to exalt ourselves, or do we seek an opportunity to serve others and humble ourselves? Do we enjoy status, titles? Do we enjoy a position of authority? Do we enjoy positions of power and exaltation? And so I want us to ask these questions of ourselves. Are we burdened by what we should do and what we shouldn't do? Do we seek the approval of men? Do we seek titles, status? If the answer is yes, then we find ourselves with the same tendencies as the self-righteous Pharisees. The most dangerous position in Christendom is not the sinner, it's not the drug addict, it's not the tax collector, it's not the prostitute, it's not the drunkard, because they know their condition. They know themselves to be bankrupt, morally, spiritually. And they find themselves prostrate before a holy God at the foot of the cross. The most dangerous position in Christendom is the self-righteous, is the Pharisee, who thinks, I've kept the law. I've done all of this the rich young ruler what was Jesus's response to the rich young ruler depart from me curse it's the same response to the Pharisee I want us to hear the strong language of Jesus to the Pharisees look at Matthew chapter 23 verse 33 Jesus said, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how shall you escape the sentence of hell? This is a rhetorical question. Jesus is not expecting an answer. The answer is, we sh- we, th- there is no way. You, brood, you, you children, you, you sons of serpents. Who is the serpent of all serpents? It is Satan. Whenever the curse of God was announced in Genesis chapter 3, God pronounced a curse on Satan and called him the serpent. And, and he said, upon your belly you shall go all the days of your life. And, and talk. that is the reference that Jesus makes right here. He's saying, you are a descendant. And he, in, in John chapter 8, he says the same thing. He said, you are of your father, the devil. And here in Matthew chapter 23, he said, you are of your father, the serpent. You are, you are a, a descendant of the serpent, and you are condemned to hell. Jesus is not mincing words. And church, I fear that there are many within the church, many who are moral, many who are kind, many who are, who are genuinely desiring to do what's right. 
that whenever they die, they're going to stand before a holy God and He's going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. Because the Pharisees genuinely thought they were doing what was right. They were keeping the law of God. They were tithing on not only their income, but on their spices in their spice cabinet. I mean, come on. These were people who tithed on before tax income. Everybody says, oh, now preacher, you've gone from, from preaching to meddling. <laughs> These weren't people who were, who were doing the minimum. These were people who were doing everything above and beyond. And Jesus says, you're of your father, the devil, and you're going to burn in hell for all of eternity. Isn't Jesus gracious? <laughs> Do you hear the strong language? And church, there are many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, who are burdened with trying to do the right thing. And we feel like that if we don't do the right thing, that God's going to get us. And if something's going on in our life, that, that's, that if something's happening in our life that's not right, if our home flooded, or if, 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 if our family life is, is, is falling apart, or there are hardships in our life, then we begin to examine, okay, what in my life am I not doing right? Am I not praying enough? Am I not giving enough? Am I not serving enough? What do I need to do in order to escape this hardship and this trial in my life? We are burdened with keeping the law, and that is completely antithetical to everything that Jesus is teaching. He says the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. He says that God gives grace common grace to all people and that hardships and trial come to all people and paul says all those who desire to live godly will be persecuted will experience trials james says consider it all joy whenever you encounter various trials and tribulation and so when bad stuff happens in our life it's not because you're not doing something or, or because you're doing something you shouldn't be doing god is not a cause and effect god are you burdened with trying to do what's right or trying to not do what's wrong, if that's a burden in your life, then you don't understand the grace of God. Are you seeking the approval of men? Are you doing and giving and serving so that other people will see what you're doing and giving and serving? Character is defined as what we do when no one else is around. What we do when no one else is looking? Are we seeking status, titles, exaltation? Or when we have an opportunity to serve, when we have an opportunity to humbly serve, do we see that as an opportunity to be like Jesus? If we are burdened, if we're seeking the approval of men, if we're seeking title and status, then we are these Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. I want to point out to us, church, external goodness is not a simple of, external goodness is not a symptom of true godliness. External goodness is the cause. Godliness is the cause of external goodness. 
external goodness happens because God works in our lives. The Spirit of God comes in and dwells within us. And then we serve and we do because Jesus is living in us and abiding in us. We're not burdened by the law, but we are free to observe the law. We're not burdened by, by what we should do and what we ought to do, but we are free to do what God has called us to do. Doing what's right comes out of a true, vibrant relationship with a living God. Not doing what's wrong comes out of a true, living relationship with a loving, gracious God. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. This morning... The hard truth is that many of us may have identified with the Pharisees. Many of us may be burdened by the law. Many of us may be seeking the approval of men. Many of us may be more impressed with titles and status and authority. The good news is, is that God is saying, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me, all you who are burdened. The message of the Gospel says this, that if we come to Jesus, we'll find grace and we'll find mercy. That He fulfilled the law for us that we don't have to fulfill the law. That where sin abounds, their grace abounds that much more. And while, yes, our sin carries a condemnation of death, that Jesus endured the wrath of God for us that we might experience the grace of God. And that's the message that He offered to the Pharisees that they did not receive. Instead of humility and repentance, the Pharisees said, no, we'll kill you. I would rather my pride, the acceptance of men, the title and the status, than to turn from my sin and surrender to Jesus. This morning, I ask you the question. Would you rather your pride, your status, the approval of men, or would you rather find grace? God is a God of grace, abounding in loving kindness. This morning, may you come to Jesus pray father as we deal with this very difficult text or may today may you share with us your grace may you remind us that in your love, in your compassion, that you sent Jesus to completely fulfill the righteous requirement of the law and endure justice and wrath in our place. For there are those out there this morning 
who have the same condition as the Pharisees. They are burdened by the law of God. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to come and repent. Understand that the law of God should lead us to the grace of God. And when we fail, as inevitably we will, Jesus says, come to me, you who are burdened, and find rest. Let us rest this morning in what Jesus has already done. There are those of you this morning who find yourself seeking the approval of men rather than the approval of God. And may this morning, may you turn, may you repent and seek the approval of God and Him alone. There are those of you this morning who are drawn to status and title, authority. May you repent. May you embrace humility, understanding that the God of the universe became a man, humbled himself, in order that you might have eternal life. For this morning, may you find your church broken and repentant before you. Maybe God is calling you this morning to serve here at this body. Maybe God is calling you to obey by being baptized. Whatever it is the Spirit of God is impressing upon your heart this morning, may He find us obedient. God, may you move in your church this morning. In Jesus' name.